There are a lot of movies out there. More and more of them are coming up every single day. But thanks to the internet, access to these movies is easier than it ever has been. So I have taken it upon myself to dive into the infinite depths, bring up whatever I might find, and share it with you. Whether it be a hidden gem, a sunken treasure, or a complete shipwreck. So I hope you'll join me as I sail down the bloodstream. Welcome aboard, streamers. This is The Bloodstream, and I am your host, Jason Gray. I hope everyone's December is going well for them so far. Things are going okay here at Shea Gray. But I'm not here for small talk, I'm here to talk about whatever I find on streaming this week, and this week is a doozy. This little flick is called Six Minutes of Death, and rather than do my own rambling making up trying to remember what the movie is about, I'm gonna read the description that was up for this on Amazon because this is a large part of why I wanted to watch this movie, this description makes no sense. In 1860, Smallpox takes the life of a little girl. She enters the library to get her ready for her next life. The evil darkness takes the girl into lower earth. All the corners of hell are fighting to keep her from reaching the next level. Three guardians are sent to rescue her, but they only have 30 minutes. Six minutes of death. It's more like six plots of suffering. If you notice, I was kind of flat and not really having much emotion or through line with that, it's because it's a really hard group of sentences to read. It's like someone reached into a bag of words, pulled out a couple of sentences, jumbled it together, and tried to staple three or four different plots. I will say this though, after watching the movie, that mess actually makes some kind of sense. It's still horribly written, but there's some logic behind it. But now that you've heard that mess, I'm gonna pause here, do as I do and drop in the trailer, and I don't know, maybe that will help things make a little more sense. It really doesn't, no. I would hear from time to time villagers saying how peaceful our town was. There's a plague right now going on with the children, and we don't know much about it. But there was an evil side to the town that only the ones who lived there knew about. <laughs> What it is, but I can't let you track the child. You know they're not allowed to enter the library. For that reason alone, they broke the truce. I should be allowed to at least go track the girl and bring her back. No. I can proceed now. The flick opens up with this guy magically lifting a book off a shelf. Fortunately, without a flip a flip sound effect this time, which I can't steal. He sits down to read it, holograms start popping up, and we get a very serious voiceover. And boy, the production values are already at rock bottom, and it's not even the first couple minutes of this movie. We got cheesy CG effects of the holograms popping out, the book levitating, and the guy looks like he grabbed his Red Riding Hood costume out of, I don't know, uh, uh, one of those snuggy things. But I did mention there's a serious, important voiceover that does manage to drop a bunch of exposition so it's a good enough spot to drop in the first clip. 
eons have passed since the book was created. The guardians were tasked to keep the book safe in the library that the father created to give souls that departed too young a second chance in rebirth. The book held the power to transcend time and space, giving the bearer the power to travel to times of birth and death, war and peace, joy and sorrow, to call loved ones from the grave. The lower earth housed evil beyond imagining, evil that coveted the book for its own nefarious schemes. The war commenced that lasted for five centuries of bloodshed and slaughter, and ending with the darkness defeated and a fragile truce struck by the Father, which kept powers of both darkness and light to their own domains. However, not wavered, the darkness tricked a young girl into obtaining the book for it, passing as equals. Did uh did did anyone understand a, a single word of what he just said? Anyone? After that, we get down to business with a whole group of uh, Civil War reenact. No, 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 that's not right. I'm sorry. This is supposed to be 1860s Philadelphia. There's this one scene later on where the town goes to church and the costumes are... They tried for the Sunday best, but it's like rejected wedding clothes and prom outfits. Like I said, the production values here leave a lot to be desired. There's one guy in a tux with a top hat. That's all I'm going to say. And before I go any further, and I can't even get started back up again properly because there's these group of kids talking about a baseball game and asking, hey, did you watch the baseball game last night? Now, I know baseball in its modern recognizable form has been around since like the 1700s. I actually went and did research on this so I wasn't talking out of my ass. But it still sounds really weird to me to have 1800s people talking about baseball so casually. But the thing that really gets me is the one kid asking, Did you watch the game last night? Why wouldn't he? If this is a small town, wouldn't everyone be there watching the game or something? And if they weren't, you wouldn't see him, right? It's not like these people are sitting down in their homes to watch it on television, are they? Forsooth, Josiah Daya, didst thou not seeth thee across the on field? I mean, really. And as we go around setting up the town, there's even more costumes that are not period appropriate. And I'm not sure those nursery rhymes are period appropriate either. Look, this movie is making me want to do research and that is not a rabbit hole I want to go wasting time down. Anyways, we finally get around to some witches, and there's some lurking evil, and this little girl sits down in front of a mirror to try to figure out what's going on with her town, and that's our next clip. What's gonna happen to our town? What's gonna happen to our town? What's gonna happen to our town? I can't tell you anything. My mom gets mad. Why? She doesn't like it when I talk to you. You're the only person I can talk and play with. There is something evil that's going to happen to this town. What do you mean by that? 
It'll kill the living and you'll see the dead. Just wait and see. We take way too much time singing Go Tell It on the Mountain, which is another possible anachronism, but I will admit it's one of those things where it's kinda fuzzy. It dates back to around 1865, so while it kinda is only known of after this movie is set, it kinda could have had word of mouth beforehand, and I guess they could have been singing it in church at that time. Look, you know what? I'm just gonna say everything about this movie is in the wrong time period. That way I can move on, I don't have to stop doing research every five minutes, and I can actually start getting this done. Unless it's something really glaring, okay? So, of course, they immediately show me a kid wearing jeans and modern work boots. But at least this is the kid that carries the plot plague that will strike the town and actually get things eventually rolling. As the plague rapidly spreads through town, a new teacher is introduced to the children, and he talks about the heresy of evolution in the very next clip. There is one thing I would like to discuss here today in class. It might be a little bit too much for your young minds, but I will make it very simple. There is a new theory. It is called the theory of evolution. Survival of the fittest. Did any of you know what survival of the fittest is? Show of hands. It has to do with only the strongest will survive. Only the stronger will live longer. Do we all understand today's lesson, children? Second? Sure, Doctor. What seems to be the problem? Um, I have this very serious problem. I'm gonna need you to dismiss the kids. They have to go home. There's a way to Today we will be dismissed early. It's a beautiful day outside. Go home to your parents. Enjoy the day. Thank you. Thank you. You know, this movie is doing a lot of subduing or muting the dialogue. I mean, I guess if you don't want me to know what's going on, then fine. As you can imagine, as the illness ravages the town and kids start dropping left and right, fingers start being pointed, panic rises, it's the whole witch trial thing again. The son of the teacher eventually falls ill and there's no hope for him because this is the 1800s. And quite frankly, I'm seeing a whole lot more than six minutes of death at this point. What is this movie? This entire middle section is some sort of nothing more than suffering porn as we sit here and just watch kid after kid die. Nothing happens, just endless shots of grief and death. But eventually we get to see the cue to heaven, I guess? which looks like they just took a bunch of desks and dropped it in a field somewhere they had available. All the kids are lined up, being processed as they go past the desks, and this is not how I imagine meeting St. Peter is supposed to go. Next, step right down, please. Next, I'll take the next child. 
Hello. Hi. Jaseel Lewis. Let's see, I have you here. Ah, born 1851 in a small town of Muses, Pennsylvania. How are you? Good. Well, let's see. It says here that you enjoy horseback riding, playing ball with your brother, and reading. You're a reader. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, where am I? Well, Jaseel, you are in the library. And just like all the other boys and girls waiting online, this is a magical place. A place where you can come to the library and pick any story in the book and become that character. But I want to go home. Well, yes, I know, but you can't go home, Jaseel. Once you've passed, you come to the library and you get ready for your new life. You choose a story in the book and, and we send you there. You see, you do remember being ill, right? Do you remember being ill? Yes, the doctor came to see me. Right, the doctors came and saw you, and um, you've passed on, and we're getting ready to give you another life in another part of the world. And this is why you come to the library, you pick a story. You can be anyone you want. You can go any place you want, and we send you there. I got it. I have a special place that I'm going to send you. You are going to be a carnival announcer in New York City. How about that? You could say, hello, ladies and gentlemen, step right up, step right up. I am Jaseel. I'm your carnival announcer. Step right up. We have water that burns. Come see the one-foot man, the 900-pound woman, the bearded lady, and the human gorilla. Perfect. You'd be perfect for that. So how about carnival announcer it is? <laughs> now, what area in the world would you like to go into? You've read many books. Um... What fascinates you? I read a book about China, and I really want to go there. China, China, very interesting. People, culture, food. What would you like to do in China? Um, I'd want to be a teacher. A teacher in China. Well, China it is. I'm going to go get the China book. I'll be back, and then we'll launch you into your new life, OK? Uh, well, that's an interesting take on the afterlife and rebirth, I guess. But instead of Juseel going to China, while the angel or whatever he is goes off to get the book, she grabs another book off a desk and jumps through a doorway that suddenly opens into some other place. She appears in an empty house and wanders around until she finds herself, and this evil, twisted version starts doing all the usual creepy, crawly, literally crawly, things you expect from a dark creature in these sorts of movies. Juice Weasel warps out of there and finds another dead kid. I think it's the kid of the teacher, but I'm not sure. I don't really care. It doesn't matter. And I guess this particular book is letting her bounce around her own life like she's stuck in Quantum Leap or something. At the very least, she could have grabbed one of the books from Mist and gone to uh, Dunny or something. There's some more stuff going on, and the, the angel or whatever, his name's Orson, I'll probably forget it in five minutes. He sums up the plot pretty well in the next clip, and it gets kinda long. I did a little bit of editing to keep it short, but... It really sets things up, the whole rules of what's going on, so it's kind of worth listening to. Relit, I can still see you're notorious for your places of meeting. We have a problem. I know what it is, but I can't let you track the child. She thought that she was hearing her mother's voices. How did this happen? You know they're not allowed to enter the library. For that reason alone, they broke the truce. I should be allowed to at least go track the girl and bring her back. She has the book. Most likely, they're after her right now to get that book. If they get it, 
it will mean disastrous consequences for the library. You know that. Let me go and bring the girl back. Fine. It's my guess that the girl has already walked at least three times and it will be impossible to find her. Do not pass the three minute mark. And remember, if you pass the six minute mark, not even I can bring you back. And bring two others with you, but guarantee me their safety back. Guaranteed. I wanted to bring you all here. We have a mission. It's very important that you listen. The rules have changed. And though you are the best trackers, there's been limits set on the game. The father has put a time limit on warping. You're not allowed more than three minutes. Anything more than six minutes, you'll be stuck there forever. I don't understand the three minute mark. Why do we let the evil lurk? You've been in a library too long, my friend. The three minute mark is because there's a truce. We're not supposed to be in that world. We are there for a mission. Our mission is to go and get the girl, bring her back safely with the book, and go back to the library. On your forearm will be a time code. The clock will start the moment you enter the next war and warn you the closer you get to three minutes. But even that one second after three minutes and don't test it, they will come at you with everything they have. You will not be able to fight them off. If you're there past six minutes, you're done. Understood? Yes. Okay, let's bring back the girl safely. Oh, so that's the six minutes of hunting. Not so much of death. The most frustrating thing about this movie so far is the vagueness. These guys aren't quite angels. They're not really in heaven. And there's lots of talk about the evil they. Who are they? And then there's all these vague, arbitrary rules that just sound made up, which, well, they kind of are. And it took us over half the movie to get here. We could have easily done the whole plague thing in a voiceover intro and started this movie with the kids going to heaven. One of the angel hunters wastes his three minutes visiting someone he loves, I guess, or something, on the other side. And the instant the timer hits zero, she rushes him, just like Orson said, and he warps off the safety. He finds the book that the kids had dropped during their adventures because it wasn't worth talking about. But more creatures show up to mob him, he drops the book again, and he warps away some more. So now the kids have the book of MacGuffin again. They're off and running, the angel hunter guy is following them, the demons are following him. Someone just start playing yakety sax at this point and get it over with because the movie needs it. The kids eventually find a kindly man who offers them some help and Thomas actually has a brain in his head and asks, Wait, how can we trust you? Well, surprise, they can't. And for some reason, the he becomes a she and starts chasing the kids like everyone else in this movie is doing. The angel hunter runs around some more, and the movie decides to spice things up a bit with a fight in the forest with, uh, demon ninja. Yeah. Is he really a ninja? Probably not. But if you dress a guy all in black and put a balaclava on his head, I'm gonna call him a ninja. At the very least, he's ninja adjacent. And during all this fighting, all of a sudden, the angel suddenly leaps into the air and does a roundhouse kick of a demon ninja. What did this movie just become? Ah! And then one of them gets tossed to the ground, and you can see he's clearly wearing a pair of boxers. Nope. Nope. Fuck this. I need a minute. Ahem. <clears throat> okay. I think I'm better now. Despite all this ass-kicking of many demon ninjas, 
somehow the angels actually get overwhelmed because the plot suddenly decides to say so. One of the angels gets captured and I don't really know what the hell goes on in this fight and there's this one demon who has a look on his face of the fuck? Which is pretty much my face at this point in this movie and I'm going to pause, take a little more time while one of the angels gets tied up, tortured, and questioned. Century. I'm gonna bleed you. I'm gonna bleed you just like in the days of old. And I'm gonna feed your bones to my ghouls. Little cuts here and there. Orson sacrifices himself to save the other two, and there is some major rule breaking here, which is really hard to do when the rules are this vague. Oh right, but lest we forget, there's actually kids running around in this movie somewhere. So we take a minute to catch up with Juice Weasel as she meets an evil nun. She does this bit about the kids being cursed and Orson shows up to save the kids and I don't know, maybe we can wrap this up soon, there's not much movie left. But before any sort of conclusion can draw close, the nun starts asking for the book in the next clip. You're cursed, child. I can show you the way. Things are a bit different here. They put me in here because they said I didn't love the children. I didn't care. Fools. I gave the children their freedom. They were trapped in a world that was infected by the sickness of greed. <laughs> Thomas and I were in the house and he touched the book. Child, you come to me. I can protect you. Don't be afraid. The book can take you to places. See death from a whole nother perspective. Be there at the hour, just at the time of pass. Give me the book! Thomas shows up and yoinks the girl away, while Orson wanders through the forest in no particular hurry, I guess, until he finds another demon who opens up a trunk that has a whole bunch of demons jumping out of it like it's a clown car. <sighs> Orson deals with all the scurrying clown demons and finds yet another demon, but that one must be the boss because he's wearing red. And I'm not just saying that because red, evil, devil, that sort of thing. 
I'm saying it because he's the only one wearing color out of all the demons. The demon in charge starts sending even more demons after Orson because we haven't seen enough of that lately. And all of a sudden, Orson just starts flicking his fingers in the air and moving his hands like he's using the damn force. Mommy, how come Daddy didn't do that 20 minutes ago? <sighs> I need a quick break. We had a covenant several millennia ago. You kept the balance of the darkness, and I watched over it lest you tip it. You broke the sacred order. The fire at the mountain of Cathay, parting of the earth in Rathenia, and the prestolus of a small village that ravaged the community of Philadelphia. Get, get the book! Get the book! Get the book! Get the book! And the people, in fear, turned not to me, but to you, a false messiah. They had questions. They wanted answers. So I descended here to restore the balance and banish you, for you are no longer hold the reins of darkness. I put the girl on this journey, with the book, in the library, through the door, to walk through the fires of hell to find you hiding. Greet your doom and languish in it for eternity. Whoa. Huh. That's a twist. Hmm. So this whole thing was all a ploy by Orson to banish the evil because it was getting too evil. Okay! I can actually get behind that! Ah, uh, damn it. I hate giving the movie points for that. Huh. So Orson does the banishing, gets rid of the guy in red. He raises up one of the guys he killed earlier to take over. And let's just say that guy got one hell of a promotion. And yes, that pun is most definitely intended. And he's given the task of reigning in the darkness. Orson sends the kids back to their bodies. They get better. It was It's considered a miracle. And that's pretty much the movie. Ugh, this movie. There's fragments of good. But like so many other movies, it falls into the trap of way too much padding and just not quite having the budget to tell the story it wants to tell. You can tell this is just some guys that got together and went out in the woods somewhere and did their thing, and it looks okay for that level, and I, but the production values do leave a lot to be desired. This movie is like the Vivich, but so much reverse. The story is a good idea for a story. The acting of the leaves is decent enough. Orson's not a bad actor. But it really needed a lot more work to really come to a, a decent final production. You could have sliced off the first third with the town, get rid of a lot of anachronisms in the process, and if you just focused on the kids and their journey and the angels and that plot, there's something there. And really, it comes down to this could be a whole lot better, but it could be a whole lot worse too. I don't really give it my recommendation, but I can't really say don't watch it either. It's almost okay for camp value, but that's about as far as I'd go. And that was 6 Minutes of Death, and you've been listening to The Bloodstream. If you've enjoyed listening to this, you can find more episodes on iTunes, where you can also subscribe, give us reviews, and ratings. Those are always a big help and are greatly appreciated. We're also on the Book of Faces, just search for The Bloodstream and join the group. I also have a page on Tumblr at thebloodstream.tumblr.com. My main home where you can find the show and other stuff I do is at triskadecafiles.com. There's a link somewhere in all this mess. The intro and outro music for the show is Baba Yaga by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.com. Some of the background music is from a movie I reviewed a few months ago called Solus. Some of the other background music is from audionautics.com. Audio, N-A-U-T-I-X. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, you can always hit me up at any of the places I've already mentioned or shoot me an email directly 
at phoenix, F-O-E-N-I-X, at gmail.com. Once again, I am Jason Gray. Thank you for listening, and keep streaming.
Don't worry. It'll only hurt. A lot. <laughs>